You're listening to Exec Insights, conversations about Australian business and the changing world, brought to you by QUT Executive Education. And I'm Kate Joyner, and I'm about to talk about coaching, something we do quite a bit here. So if we've been in organisational life for any length of time, we'll have experienced coaching. We might have had someone coach us, we might have been the coach ourselves to our team or to colleagues, we may have had help from a professional coach. So Dr Jeff Abbott, who's with me now, writes that the practice of coaching is changing in line with complexity and volatility in our environments. So Jeff is ex- uh, Director of Executive and Organisational Coaching here at the Graduate School of Business. He's an experienced executive coach himself, and he's also involved in coaching and mentoring education here and overseas. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Kate. So let's start with um, definitions. So when does sort of a, just an everyday, average workplace conversation um evolve into what we might call a coaching conversation, in your view? Uh, I guess uh, one of the best definitions of coaching is sort of coaches. Coaching is what coaches do. Mm -hmm. So it it really depends on the context and the expectations of the people involved. Uh, In the past, traditionally, a coach would be telling someone what to do, coaching you through something, telling you, showing you, uh, show and tell. Uh, it's evolved more recently into a practice of asking, exploring and challenging so that you would be supporting somebody to create solutions in their own workplace and in their own job. Uh, the, the trap, what I call the, the manager dependency trap, is that the managers often are experts in the role of the people that they're, they're coaching and they think that if they give solutions to the person wanting help, then that is solving the problem because the person wants a solution, the manager gives them a solution, everybody's happy, and they then go out and then join the queue at the door because the manager never lets go. So I guess modern workplace coaching is using more what maybe traditionally was more an executive coaching style of trusting that the, the solution resides in the person being coached, and uh, by and large, that's true. And of course, in the workplace, sometimes the manager will want to give uh, direction and appropriately help the person with a solution. But more typically, the approach now is for the coaching of the, the leader and manager coach in the workplace is to throw back to the person to find how resourceful they are. I imagine for some managers, and I include myself in this number, <laughs> that can be quite a challenge. So to catch yourself in the moment and say, oh, it would just be so easy just to give the answer here. Yeah. Like we're in a hurry. We're kind of, we're constantly in a hurry, I suppose. Would, would that be true? Is yeah. And some people's personalities lend themselves, uh, lend them more likely than others to be more effective in that role. Um, if you're, you know, if your your role is an expert in in the legal practice, for example, or in finance, or in, in many professions, you are expected to be an expert decision maker. And it's very strange to actually let go of that and to say, well, actually, you know, how about you sort out that an approach and come back to me? Well, that's a hard thing to do in the rush of the day, mm. and under pressure, people revert to all the earlier forms of behaviour. So, you know, as you say, once the the pressure comes and the, the you feel that you need to get things done, you think we'll stuff the coaching. Let's just tell them what to do. And sometimes that would be appropriate. And sometimes it is. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, but but if you notice, it, it's what you know the thing that's crept in in workplace language now is mindfulness. So if you're mindful that you are doing that, 
then in the quieter times, which occasionally happen, then you can dis d decide that you will notice the behavior that you've been doing of telling people what to do and work with somebody to help you, maybe your manager or a coach, uh, to find some ways of shifting towards a more coaching, asking, exploring, supporting approach. And have you seen that, so that uh, transformation, I suppose, that we just mentioned? So if your typical practice or your habit is to tell uh, rather than uh, take the time to uh, have a co more coaching conversation, have you uh, seen that evolution of a manager uh, take the time to do that mindfulness and to step into more of the coaching role? Yeah. So it, yeah. Can, it can happen, George. Oh, look, absolutely, but it's matters of degrees. I mean, you can't degree you can't expect somebody that's absolutely locked into that telling but we've had some managers and a lot of people that come through our programs uh, particularly we've had a lot of uh, work in the defense industries people come out from defense industry backgrounds in military maybe and in project management that they have bought into this approach and have been quite um, profound in their impact in fact uh, i was talking to someone in the department of defense who said oh look my manager was uh, was managed by one of the people that did your course. Uh, so it's got two levels down, the impact of this. So if you do get through, and, and you, you can see people make quite significant shifts in their leadership style. Um, I suppose we should get to part of the definitions, I suppose, um, is, the, is the why should I bother? So what's the payoff if I take the time to develop um, some of these more effective, we argue more effective, coaching skills? Well, yeah, it, it is a question of... One thing is it saves time, ironically. You know, the, the cliche is, well, you haven't got time not to coach mm -hmm. because you don't have to do the work because too often we're paying people to do the work of the people that they're paying. I mean, it, it just seems quite strange. But it's, it's also in organisations where the manager is under so much pressure through the, the so-called VUCA volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity, that the pressures of, of understanding what's going on in the workplace are so, are so great that getting them across everything is impossible. So they've got to be looking for ways to connect with people that do know stuff and can, getting those conversations. It's the, it's the conversations at the connection points in the system, in the organisational system, where is the power. And that's where a coaching style is so powerful to ignite organisational performance. Well, that's an interesting lead into something that you've uh, written quite recently, uh, which is about third gen coaching or coaching in a VUCA environment. Excellent article, which we'll post on our website. But you describe um, third generation coaching. So I guess that leads to the question what was first and second generation? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, well, and also, and what is this third generation? Well, coaching? it's all a bit muddy, this, this generational approach. But to simplify it, uh, this. The workplace coaching approach to third generation was coined by Dr. Tony Grant at Sydney University, and he, the first generation is very much a performance coaching approach where you coach the person to get more sales and more. Yeah. And, then, and, and then a little bit later in the 2000s, you see uh, a search for talent, a talent retention, so it had a more humanistic, you coach to empower, you coach to value, you coach to, to love, engage the people. And then what you've seen in third generation is the application of this level of sophistication of higher order cognitive complexity to understand systems thinking and cultural shifts uh, embedded with performance and with the more human form and get really rich experiences and know why they're there, mm. you know, as well as you know the financial side of it. 
Yeah, so having having a few skills in coaching is is it sounds to me like it's pretty fundamental uh, for a twenty first century workplace for those reasons. Yeah, yeah, and even on you know as as you know, Kate here is you know, our work's increasingly virtual, so we're drawing people in through. Uh, different technologies and trying to get people to build trust and build understanding and having the skills to get a group of people who don't know each other very well to get them to galvanize around an idea or a, a project or even a team is, is getting increasingly challenging. I see, I think you've got some good skills in, in well, we're all we're all learning, but you seem to be ahead of the curve a little bit, at least with me on the, the use of virtual. So, I mean, just on your own experience, uh, maybe leading a coaching conversation uh, face-to-face like we are now or through maybe the Zoom platform, which we use a lot, which is pretty good in terms of its um, similarity to a face-to-face situation, as close as you can get. What do, what do you experience as the difference? Like, do you have a different coaching conversation when someone's not physically in the room with you? Um well, um, um, traditionally we talk about ideally you meet someone face to face first, and but if that's not possible, then uh, yeah, is is understanding their environment. And I find early on asking questions about where they are and how they're set up, and also observing where they are, and maybe make some comments about what they're the room they're in, the place they're in, ask them more about that. Get very interested in their day and their routine. If they're out of time zone, if they're out of culture. Spending some time early on being really curious about who they are, where they are, mm. how they're showing up, and being quite, as an educator, and right driving the process is being very insistent that people set themselves up well, because if they're used to going in in a dark room or the bad, you know, bad audio or whatever it is, you've got to call them on it and say, well, hang on, um, what can we do to help you to, to come in more effectively so that your presence is, is respectful? So that's all part of that learning curve, I think. Yeah. Um, well, people, the funny thing is, is people say, oh, I know, I never use a webcam when I do a webinar. I say, well, that's okay. I'm sorry. So, and I say, <laughs> that's well, a bit hard. Yeah, and I say, so when you go into a tutorial, you put a paper bag over your head, what are you going to do? <laughs> It's kind of, you show up, you know. Yeah, I know. That's, it's everything that we're, you know, we're starting to learn about how to do it well. I think we well, do the, it, the other uh, thing, whether we do it well. The other thing is you've got to get used to across time zones is when you're having your glass of wine is to put it in a coffee cup so that in the evening and vice Good versa. Tip. Yeah, it's, Good tip. It's, it's, uh, I'd never do that, but if I did, that's, that's my approach. Okay, I, I bow at the feet of the guru. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, is there some conditions where um, coaching? I, I think I've said intervention here is an effective intervention that, that suggests that the the leader. At, you know, we do this. We go into organisations at the request of the, the leader and come and do a coaching intervention of some kind. Is that um, when you get those kind of requests? And I know you do. When, do. What kind of questions pop into your mind about whether this is an effective thing to do? Or Sounds perhaps? like a surgical procedure. It does, it? doesn't yeah. it? But yeah. but I mean, we do. This is what those kind of requests come often. What yeah, kind of questions um, would you would you ask at that point? Well, I'm interested in well, the obvious question is well, what's the issue? What's the um, challenge that they're facing? And what is it that they they seem to need something external? I've got to be a little bit careful of not trying to not end up as a de facto manager uh, or trying to work with the manager says the team needs coaching or people need coaching and sometimes it might be the manager that needs the coaching and just being careful about exploring the landscape and and making sure that the boundaries of the intervention are, are 
are known and, and there's a chance of success. Ideally, I'd like to coach the manager first. That would be ideal. Mm. So is that a little bit of the um, the teaching to be sure, coaching them? Yeah, mm. yeah, because, yeah, I mean, if you work with a manager and they understand what coaching is and then they think, well, I'd like you to come in and help me with that, mm. then I can talk with the team about what's going on with the manager and the manager can talk with the team and... We've got one at the moment that's working really well. It's been slow. The manager is not a great coach, but but is trying to adopt those coaching approaches and is being very upfront about it. Mm. And um, yeah, it's being upfront. So the team sees that uh, the manager's investing in this skill. This is an important. Yeah. yeah. The manager sees it as an important skill. Yeah. And I I pay attention to that. I'd imagine. And there's dynamics around that. Like sometimes the manager doesn't want the same people or doesn't want their coach to be coaching the team and the team perhaps wants a separate coach so that there are issues of confidentiality and privacy around that. Usually it's a perception rather than reality that mm. sometimes it's better to have a separate coach for the leader, other times it's better to have the same coach for the leader. It just depends mm. on the context. Um, I know in my, my previous um, role uh, working with an executive service in-house, that the coaching tended to happen when there was imminent danger of derailing uh, with an executive. So it unfortunately that had that connotation. Yeah. You know, it's not a positive, uh, yeah. it, oh, God, I'm in trouble, they're bringing in the executive coaches. Is, is that... Um, well, it used to be. I mean, I've got a... It used to be that. And I think it, as coaching markets mature, you find a, an evolution of, beyond that. It used to be, you know, the image I use on my PowerPoint slide, which you can't do in audio because you can't see the picture, but the, is someone walking the plank. And you say, this is the executive, and then the coach's job is to get them back off the plank and back in the, into the boat. Mm. Um, often they, they push themselves out of that plank. <laughs> Something's happened, yeah. Yeah, they not have been asked to walk the plank. The, the, next, the, the next slide is a picture of a Mercedes-Benz and also the coach. So you get, you know, people realise that when they see people underrailing, so, yeah, and that's okay. Is re-railing. Re-railing, yeah. Re-railing. Okay, so when they're re-railed, they then say, okay, what's going on there? And they realize that coaching can be of value even for people who are highly productive. So then they want one part as part of their contract with their car and their office. And their, you know, so if it gets a bit more of a glamour, oh, I've got a coach. Ooh, and I have one too. Yeah, so. <laughs> so, which actually was my first question. So what, what you've been in, um, you know, involved in uh, coaching for quite a while. So what are you seeing in, in the workplace at the moment, organisations that um, you observe about the um, implementation or the practice of workplace coaching? So we can see that now perhaps you suggest it's a, it's a badge of, of uh, distinction and honour. Yeah. Has it evolved to that or are we actually... In some organisations, yeah, but it, the, the evolution beyond that is where it's become, and this is part of that question you asked me before about shifts in, in to third generation, it becomes more of a cultural feature. So everybody in the organization and some would know what coaching is, would know something about how to do it, and it becomes a part of your job, whatever it is. It just becomes embedded and all part of it. And it becomes part of uh, your performance agreements that you, you get paid on how well you're coaching people and it's built into job descriptions and all of that, that stuff. That does sound so, like best practice, doesn't it? Yeah. Practice. Well there there is there's a company we're visiting the executive graduate certificate in business Brackets, leadership through coaching and mentoring, close brackets, uh, which starts in the first two indicates for May and December. May and December. Is, um, that we, we're visiting a company, a, a big call center in, in 
North America and Canada that has uh, its center in Toronto, where they claim to have a fully embedded coaching culture from the CEO through to the core center operators. So we're going to see them and have a chat with them about what's going on and how they did that and what the benefits and otherwise are. Mm. Other corporations, we've been to visit Ford Motor Company on the, on the last study tour in Detroit, and they uh, are using coaching in their executive teams as well as they're using it in the frontline operations around the, around the world. So there are very good examples of best practice, but also it's patchy. It's, it's ranging from being very sporadic and almost no coaching mm-hmm. through to quite sophisticated. Quite coaching. a mature um, yeah. approach, but it sounds like the Ford company is quite a mature um, yeah, um, depends where you are. And, yeah, all forwards are, yeah, And that's, and interestingly enough, I think when you, with a little survey tool that we can check where people think companies are, the higher up in the company you go, it seems to be they think it's more embedded. So the, the higher level people think there's coaching everywhere, the lower people, th- mm. people in the hierarchy think there's no coaching anywhere. So, uh, this is kind of representative of the way organizations so you can, you might can work. So you can have a little bit of a, a, uh, an X-ray of your organization and see where you actually... Yeah, and we've got a little scan. tool that's easy to do and, and it's quite revealing. Mm, which was actually my last question, if I wanted to improve my coaching skills or I wanted my organization to um, collectively improve our coaching skills, how, how would I do that? Um, I've heard. I think I've heard about the LCAM program. Well, the LCAM program at mm. QUT is is one way. And the good thing about that is you can put an executive onto that program, and then they become the conduit of bringing coaching services and coaching skills into the organisation. So there's a high impact project that makes a difference in an organisation, which is tied closely to the assessment procedures or assessment processes, and also. Um, just start to use executive coaching and, and build it into some of your leadership development programs. At the moment, if you're running leadership development programs that have workshops, you can be sure you're wasting your money unless you have coaching that goes behind them. Mm. I can say that you know, definitively. Okay. You go to the workshop, you maybe remember some of the jokes and maybe the facilitator's name, and apart from that, I have to think they remember our names, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> that really attractive woman from QUT. Who was that? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yes. So, I mean, we, we don't have to wait for our organisation if we feel that we need to. It, we would benefit from learning coaching skills. And it's one of those transferable skills, I think, that we all need. Um, we can start yeah. working ourselves. Yeah, and increasingly individuals are doing that. They're choosing. A lot of people in middle career are thinking, well, um, Organisational life is stressful, and I'm getting to the stage where I could very well be made redundant anyway. So maybe it's a good time to to learn a little bit about coaching, mm-hmm. so they can their skills in future management positions can be improved, as well as the possibility that they can do some external executive coaching themselves. Yeah, it's always encouraging to see those um, people who are taking that that um, you know step for themselves. I think it's a really positive thing to do. So thank you for that, um, Dr. Jeff. Um, this is where we segue, I suppose, into a final segment, which may be related or it could be not. This is what we call our That's Interesting final segment. So um, so what's piqued your interest or curiosity most recently, Jeff? Well, I went to a dinner the other night of uh, EMBA students from our I think I was at the course. same dinner. Yeah, very nice dinner. And what I've noticed teaching in the MBA program over a number of years, probably too many that I 
want to share necessarily, but when I first started, there were people, the majority of people who are interested in, in using the MBA to grow their corporate career. Executive MBA, I want to be further, I want to become a CEO, I want to you know, become my boss, I want to take my boss's job and I want to claw my way up the greasy pole. And increasingly over the years, I've seen a movement away from corporate life, or many people are still in corporate life. But the attraction now seems to be to get out of corporate life, that organizations are becoming, in some cases, not all, because QUT being an exception, uh, organizations are not necessarily nice places to work. And um, the traditional organizational structure is so is such you know, antithetical to what we really need to be as organizations that people are starting to look for ways out and they're looking for startups, they're looking for much more innovative partnerships and approaches that are... Uh, different. So our entrepreneurial stream, our innovation stream, our creativity streams are much more much more likely to get resonance with students. Mm. So, and they love coaching too. They like to, to learn about coaching and, and take that more uh, egalitarian and structured unstructured approach. Well, an obvious statement, but that's interesting. Why, <laughs> why, why is that, do you think? Is it, uh, is it the experience? Because, I, I mean, the MBA program can be a catalyst for movement in one direction or another. That's yeah. my experience. And with leadership development programs, I've found that too. It's uh, just a process where we start generally thinking about where am I going. Um, but There's a, Amanda Sinclair, the, the um, um, Melbourne Business, Business School, School uh, professor, she has a book called Leadership for the Disillusioned. And I think disillusionment in organizational life is quite um, rife. And I think what we're seeing is people reacting to that from uh, walking out of organizations either towards better organizations or forming their own organizations with people that they trust and, and feel comfortable with. Mm. Well, thanks for that. Um, I, yeah, I didn't actually... Uh, I guess I could have had more conversations on the evening with those graduates. I was so happy for them. You know, like I, didn't, I didn't make any more observations other than that, but... But thanks for that, and um, thanks for being um, my second subject in Exec Insights. It's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Exec Insights. For more information about QUT's executive education programs, please search QUT Executive Education and you'll find a full range of our programs and services.